Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I'm Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is day eight of our series, and we'll be continuing our discussion of St. Catherine's Treatise of Discretion. We'll start with the subsection on how after the general judgment, the pain of the damned will increase, and we'll be going through the subsection on how the soul was in great bitterness. In this part, we'll be considering how temptation and suffering play an important role in our spiritual lives. First, let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Eternal God, Eternal Trinity, You have made the blood of Christ so precious through His sharing in Your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. And the more I find, the more I search for You but I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our last segment, the seventh of this series, we discussed the Father's revelation to St. Catherine concerning the fruits of vice that flow from pride. If we turn away from reliance on God, pride ultimately leads us into patterns of sensuality, greed, and injustice to our neighbors. When the Father speaks to Catherine about the judgment of souls, he emphasizes how the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to convict us of truth so that we can repent and return to the Father's mercy. If a person freely rejects God's mercy, judgment seems to such a one as a fearful and terrible thing. But if we rely on the divine mercy more than on our own strength, Judgment is filled with hope. In the seventh section, we concluded with a reflection on the joys of heaven as contrasted with the sufferings of hell. Since the primary suffering of hell is to be deprived of the vision of God, we know that the highest joy of the kingdom of heaven is when we behold the face of God. But we'll further rejoice when we behold the angels and the many souls redeemed by Christ. Because the saints are filled with the charity of God, they intercede constantly on our behalf. 
and the joy of all will be increased the more souls open themselves to the infinite love and mercy of God. In this new section, we see that having revealed to Catherine the dignity and joy of the righteous, the Father next reveals to her the suffering of those who have turned away from His mercy. Just as the joy of those who are with God will be increased after the general judgment, as they see the big picture of how God's goodness has been woven through all salvation history, including their own lives, so those who have rejected God will suffer even more when they see the beauty of the plan they rejected. Because after the general judgment, body and soul will be united, the suffering of those who chose to not repent of their evil will overflow into the body of these. The Father says that the condemned will suffer all the more when they see the generosity and mercy shining in the lives of the blessed ones who received the fruit of the blood of the Lamb and whose sufferings in their own lifetime for the sake of Christ will appear as ornaments on their bodies. For those who suffered for the sake of Christ, when the general judgment occurs, their sufferings will become a sign of glory and a sign of honor. Whereas those who only sought self-indulgence will experience all the greater agony of body when their bodies and souls are reunited since the spiritual choice to turn away from God will be felt in their bodies. Those who refuse to love God and others, the Father says, have chosen to pass through the door of the devil, and therefore they enter into his kingdom, whereas those who have turned to the Father have passed by the way of Christ the bridge, and they pass through Christ the door, who will cause them to enter into the joy of eternal life. He contrasts the devil's way of the lie with Jesus's way of truth. So, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. So Jesus' way of truth is one that leads to life, whereas that of the evil one is a way, but it's a way of lying that ultimately leads to death and destruction. The Father next reveals to Catherine the role of temptations in the life of the soul. He reveals that he does not allow the devil to tempt souls in order that those souls would be conquered, but rather that they may conquer by proving their virtue and by receiving from him the glory of victory. The father fortifies us with the blood of his son so that we can resist the devil. Those who stand fast in a time of temptation, refusing to turn their will over to the devil's evils, not only incur no guilt, but they are strengthened by the experience of temptation. If we can come to see the battle of temptation with the eye of faith, then the eye of our intellect is opened to see that love allows us to be tempted so that we can increase in virtue. For as the Father reminds Catherine, humility is the foundation of the whole spiritual life, and that humility grows as we know God and know ourselves in God. Such self-knowledge is acquired more in a time of temptation than in a time of ease. 
For when we struggle, we see how deeply we depend on the strength and grace of God. The devil never intends our good, since he can't want any good. He uses temptation to lead us away from God, but God uses all things for good. If a person chooses to surrender to the evil one, God reminds Catherine that the judgment of such a person comes from within his own conscience. While those who have chosen to walk in faith and charity know that death is merely a passage that leads unto an eternal good. In this sense, the Father says that as we depart from this world, souls already know and taste the judgment that they have chosen. Because the person who has rejected divine mercy already feels the despair and darkness of that choice, while the one who has trusted in God rejoices to go home to the Father. Even the one who still needs the purgation of purity, since their love is imperfect, has peace and joy, knowing in all confidence that God is full of mercy and that all of us can hope in the salvation he promises. In the following section, the Father reveals to Catherine that the devil misleads souls by showing them evil under the appearance of good. Humans do not seek evil as evil because our wills are drawn by what we perceive as good. So in every choice, even in a choice for something that is objectively evil, there is some pleasure or some good that we hope to obtain when we choose it. But the more we choose something that opposes the true good of our humanity, the more blinded we become by sensual and selfish self-love. And the more we choose sensuality, the more easily we can be deceived. The Father tells Catherine that the devil presents different temptations to different ranks and kinds of people. As he looks at our principal vices and weaknesses and accustoms temptations to those areas where we are more likely to fall. Some people see the way of life offered by the sun and think it looks too difficult. When a person is afraid of the effort it takes to walk in truth and charity, there seems to be a kind of thorn or an excessive pain associated with following Christ crucified. This thorn is the deliberation of the will that perceives following Christ as too hard and seeks to run off to what seems more pleasurable. Thus, there's a constant battle between what conscience tells us to do and what our sensuality or love of comfort and ease tells us to do. We see this struggle a lot in ourselves and in the world around us. When a person is seeking to set out on the way of conversion, really struggling to be a closer follower of Christ, there's this perception that it's going to be just so hard, that there's not gonna be anything enjoyable, it's all suffering and hardship. And sometimes people do perceive this as an insurmountable obstacle. But the Father points out that that is a deception of the evil one. He says that when a person commits himself to follow Christ crucified, what at first seemed to be a thorn or an insurmountable obstacle becomes incredibly sweet. The irony of this, the Father says, 
is that if a person tries to avoid pain and difficulty by not following the way of Christ, by sticking to their own inner compulsions, the person actually chooses the greater pain. In avoiding the challenge and the self-sacrifice that are involved in following Christ, a person can become enslaved to pleasure and remains in the raging waters of the river of death instead of choosing to walk along the path of peace and joy that leads to God and our ultimate happiness. In the next section, the Father assures Catherine that the fallen world will always germinate thorns. Due to original sin and personal sin, there will always be suffering in the world. But he points out that these thorns can do no harm to some souls, while to others they are, in fact, very painful. It is evident that it is impossible to live this life without pain, both bodily and mental. But as the Father points out, for those who serve God, even though they may endure great bodily pain, their minds can remain free since their wills are attached to that of God. When a person who is committed to serving God endures the separation of body and soul at death, even greater joy comes because the desires of the will are completely fulfilled as they behold the one they desire. A soul that seeks the Lord walks by faith even in this world, and so sees in truth the goodness of God at work within the soul and at work within others. The more a person sees truly God's loving goodness and the more the soul chooses to cling to God alone, the more that person runs the way of the bridge and passes over the thorns of this world. Therefore, such souls can suffer in body, but not in soul, since all their affection and will are united to that of God. Even if such people experience sickness or poverty or some kind of loss in this world, they see such sufferings with reason enlightened by faith, and they understand that God would only allow tribulation for the sake of a greater love. You see this in the lives of so many of the saints, it can be very mysterious to us when we're in the early stages of following Christ, that there are souls who long to suffer for the sake of Christ. But it was that no matter what they endured in their physical and this worldly experience, they were so alive with faith, hope, and charity that they knew that even the sufferings of this world could not separate them from God's love. And they longed to suffer in union with Christ for the good of the body, the church. When Catherine realizes how great a good it is to experience this world's sufferings and trials with patient endurance, she laments that there are so many who choose to remain in the river and not step onto the bridge of Christ. When she sees that in seeking their own pleasure, many people are actually led to a greater suffering because their wills are in this constant opposition to God, she begs the Father to show her more about Christ the Bridge, and she asks to learn more about how a person can choose to leave the river behind and step onto the Bridge of Christ. 
Catherine's prayer of desire to know more about the metaphor of the bridge brings us to the conclusion of what we're considering in this eighth episode in our study of the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. Next time, we'll be looking at this section on how the bridge aligns with the study of the three powers of the soul. This is still continuing in the Treatise of Discretion. We'll begin with the subsection, how the three steps figured in the bridge signify the three powers of the soul. And we'll continue through to the section on the general method by which every rational creature can come out of the sea of the world and go by the aforesaid holy bridge. So I look forward to going deeper into how Christ the bridge purifies and unites the powers of our soul as we open ourselves more fully to divine grace and mercy. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven. Thank you.